This show is brought to you by Boise State Public Radio in Idaho, along with the Mountain West News Bureau, a public media collaboration. I never thought I'd fall in love with sagebrush. I'd driven across the U.S. before, through those vast stretches of the West where the sagebrush goes on for miles and miles and miles. And it looks like nothing. Not much to see here, folks. Not much diversity. Not much life, even. But now that I live on 20 acres of sagebrush, I find I am in love with this landscape. And it grew on me slowly. It's not the kind of landscape that hits you over the head. It's open, honest country. And if you sit quietly, you'll see that it is teeming with life. There are so many songbirds flitting from bush to bush. Raptors circle overhead looking for mice and other prey on the ground. Rattlesnakes slither across the dry, rocky earth taking cover under my deck sometimes. At night, I hear the coyotes yipping and barking and playing. I'll look out the window in the moonlight and see their shadowy shapes flowing through the sagebrush. And then there's the smell. When I ride my horse through the sagebrush, I can't help but reach down and grab sprigs of it and crumble it beneath my nose. That lemony, rusty, crisp smell that is so tied to this landscape for me so specific to this country. It can also feel really empty and naked out here, exposed, no trees to hide under, no shade, big sky. But at the same time, there's so much freedom in that and a feeling of possibility. It's not a hospitable landscape, but it's a beautiful one and a powerful one. Fire is not traditionally a very common part of this ecosystem. Sagebrush might burn every 50 to 100 years. But that's changing, and there are a lot of people very worried about what that will mean for sage grouse. So I've been wondering, what do we lose when sagebrush burns? And the sagebrush wildfire story got really personal for me last summer. I can see the smoke over the hill in this huge billowing brown cloud, and we're frantically packing the airstream and um, trying to get think about what it is in our lives that we need to take with us. The fire's burning, it's many football fields big now, and it's about less than a half mile from our house, and it's moving through sagebrush really fast. And if the wind shifts, it could come down the hill to our house right now. In late July of last year, a wildfire started on private property just up the dirt road from my house, and it tore through the sagebrush towards us. I drove my pickup truck up the road to see how bad things were. And there was this moment where I remember sitting in the driver's seat, looking out the window and just watching the flames roll across the sagebrush hillside toward my house. And having to decide, am I a reporter right now? Do I go and try to gather information, talk to firefighters? Or do I evacuate? Do I try to take care of myself and my husband? So I turned the pickup truck around and I rushed home. You never think you're gonna be asking yourself these questions as you watch smoke billow. It's really beautiful in this horrifying kind of way and I just feel really detached from all of it right now and trying to think about what it is that I need in my life to take with me. So far it's my grandmother's portrait, photos of my grandfather from World War II, passports, my grandmother's pearls. Weirdly, I'm thinking about bringing my coffee maker with me because what else do you need to keep going in this world right now? It's purifying in a sort of horrifying way, having your whole life forcefully Marie Kondoed but I wouldn't wish those decisions or that stress on anyone. I'm Ashley Ahern, and this is Grouse, 
a show about the most controversial bird in the West and what it's taught me about hope, compromise, and life in rural America. I've reported on wildfires before in forests. Wildfires in sagebrush are different. Sagebrush burns fast and hot. In open country with high winds, fire just tears across the landscape. And here's a little known fact. In recent years, more sagebrush, or rangeland as it's sometimes called, is burning in the West than forests. We're talking hundreds of thousands of acres per year. The Bureau of Land Management estimates that more than 9 million acres of sage-grouse habitat have burned in the past six years. The fire behind my house was about 150 acres. Tiny, really, when you compare it to other fires in the region. And they got it put out before it did any damage. I wasn't worried about sage-grouse dying in that fire. There aren't any sage-grouse around here. But these birds rely on sagebrush to survive. And I was curious about how these fires are affecting the bird across its range. So I headed to northern Nevada, where there are a lot of sage-grouse and a lot of sagebrush is burning. So we're, we're in the Owyhee Desert. We're driving along Dry Creek, and uh, we're, we're getting ready to drive into the Martin Fire, which burnt in uh, July of 2018. Caleb McAdoo has lived in Nevada all his life. He's a biologist with the Nevada Department of Wildlife, and he loves this landscape. He grew up hunting, fishing, and spending time in the sagebrush with his family. Now he's raising his daughters to love it, too. But it's a landscape that is changing before Caleb's eyes. The sagebrush he knew as a kid is burning. We're driving through an area that burned in the Martin Fire two years ago, the biggest wildfire in Nevada state history. Almost 700 square miles burned. It's hard to wrap your head around, you know, a, a fire that's so long that you can drive through all day long and be in the black, um, burnt landscape. Um, and, and being a local to the area, it was shocking to the system to, you know, stand right up here on Four Mile Butte and everything around you was black. Um, it's really hard to describe the vastness of how far and why this, this fire really burned. When the fire was burning and Caleb and his family could see it creeping across the landscape from their house, he told me one of his little girls ran up to him crying and grabbed his pant leg and said, Daddy, Daddy, we have to go save the birds. Through the truck window, I can see skeletons of sagebrush, bleached white in the sun. Dust clouds of ash rise in the distance off of the gray earth. There are little spots of green where stuff is starting to grow back, but overall, it's just desolate and sad. The fire destroyed 35 sage-grouse leks, or mating areas. Firefighters here told me they call sage-grouse streamers, because when the birds catch fire and try to escape, they end up falling to the earth and lighting more sagebrush on fire. People that study sage-grouse in this part of the West say wildfire is the largest threat to the birds. With each fire, Caleb says, the sagebrush the grouse depend on for food and safety is disappearing. Yeah, and those, those fires just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and you know, it's an exponential, it's an exponential loss. And I mean, growing up here in Nevada, you, you see it, it's not a sea of sagebrush anymore. We are losing it, it is going away. And it's, I mean, it's really depressing. Are there spots that you go to or went to as a kid that when you go now, you 
Tons of them. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely tons of them. Now, the situation is not as simple as fire comes, burns sagebrush, sagebrush gone. There's a very specific culprit to blame for this mess. It's a plant, a very troublesome plant. I headed to Maggie Creek Ranch outside of Elko, Nevada. John Griggs has been running the ranch for almost 30 years. We walk out behind the ranch houses. John's cowboy hat casts a shadow across his face in the midday sun. So we're standing in the culprit right here. That's cheatgrass, cheatgrass growing. He crouches down and plucks a few stalks of a yellowy green spindly grass with a tufted top. Cheatgrass is an invasive species with shallow roots that grows faster and it starts earlier in the spring than bunch grasses or other native plants that you find in sagebrush country. And it burns way more frequently, every five to seven years, as opposed to sagebrush, which burns every 50 to 100 years. So with each fire, the cheatgrass comes back faster than the native plants, and it takes over the landscape, basically transitioning the whole ecosystem from sagebrush into grassland. Before you know it, you have a sea of cheatgrass instead of a sea of sagebrush. Cheatgrass came to the U.S. from Eurasia, and it was first spotted in Pennsylvania in the late 1700s. By the Great Depression, it had spread across the West, thanks mainly to settlers and their livestock. And there's no silver bullet way to get rid of it once it takes hold. In some parts of the West, volunteers gather native seeds by hand to replant in burn areas. Land managers are also spraying herbicides or doing targeted grazing with livestock to sort of knock the cheatgrass back. These remedies are all pretty labor-intensive and severely underfunded. And then there's the scope of this problem. We're talking millions of acres of sagebrush in the West that have burned and are being taken over by cheatgrass. It would take a massive effort to slow or stop the ecosystem shift that's already underway. John Griggs knows all too well what happens when cheatgrass takes over. He's felt that loss firsthand. Back in 2007, there was a lightning strike near Maggie Creek Ranch. A bolt of lightning ignited a juniper and started a wildfire that burned thousands of acres and destroyed several ranch buildings. And what we did was we lined up trucks on this road and the fire came through us and <clears throat> the, the wind was howling, the, the sky was orange, it was orange light. The smoke was so thick I couldn't see that house there. Um, fire went down into these green meadows and creeped along until we finally put dozer line around it. We thought at that time, 2007, had a lot of experience fire. We thought we were ready for that. We thought we had a handle on that. We thought that's not going to happen to us, and it got us. And I think about that day. <clears throat> I don't like to think about that day. John said the worst part about wildfire for a cattleman is having to shoot your scorched cows that managed to survive the flames, but you know aren't going to make it. Caleb McAdoo and the Nevada Department of Wildlife have done a lot of reseeding with native plants in burn areas. 
when we were driving along, and I wasn't recording at this point, I asked him if he ever felt like he's fighting a war against the onslaught of cheatgrass that's taking over his beloved sagebrush. And he actually choked up a little bit and told me that's exactly how he described it to his wife when they were talking about his work not too long ago. He said he feels like a general who might win a battle here and there, but he's losing the war. I wanted to know if cheatgrass was taking hold in the burn area behind my house. So on a rainy spring day, I went for a walk with Susan Pritchard, a University of Washington wildfire scientist who lives here in the Metau Valley, not too far from me. Yeah, this is one of my favorite times of year in this particular kind of vegetation. Yeah. It's still lush and green before the summer heat hits and everything turns brown and my wildfire anxiety starts to rise. The sagebrush smells amazing after rain, and the hills are just bursting with color, bright yellow and purple flowers dotting the hillsides around us. So we have um, bitterbrush that's just about to bloom, and then sagebrush. Mm -hmm. It has some scattered blue bunch wheatgrass and Idaho fescue bunchgrass mixed in, and then balsam root sunflower. And what else do we have? Lupin, Lomatium, so desert parsley, um, wild carrot would be another name. And then we come up and over a ridge and we cross the dirt line where the firefighters drove a bulldozer through to create a fire break. And on the other side... Wow, look at this. Huh. Yeah, this burned really hot. The earth in front of us is scorched down to the soil and there are black sagebrush skeletons twisting their zombie arms up out of the earth. The landscape is pockmarked with these black patches where the fire burned the hottest around the older, bigger sagebrush and bitterbrush shrubs. We were in um, a land full of bright, sunny sunflowers, and now we're mostly in charred soil and grass. Yeah, it's very different. It reminded me of how Caleb McAdoo described the whole ecosystem in Nevada shifting after a fire from a lush, diverse sagebrush system like we just walked through to a grassy monoculture. We keep going, and I have my head down, scanning the ground for those spindly stalks of cheatgrass I saw all over Nevada. And then Susan pauses. Here, I'll take this one home. What's that? This is cheatgrass. You did find cheatgrass. <laughs> yeah, we'll just take this one away. So it's here? Yeah, it is. <sighs> <laughs> are we just built to be afraid of change like why am i having a gut reaction that is <laughs> uncomfortable right now i think it's because we have a lot to do with this change and i think that we feel some responsibility because we brought these weeds as a society over and with Western settlers, I mean, right? A, a lot of this A long stuff. time ago, yeah. you know, especially cheatgrass. So you have Western settlers back in the day bringing this damn thing into the ecosystem where it's uniquely positioned to take over. And then Susan says you have the present day threat of climate change, making for wetter winters and warmer, drier summers, which paves the way for more fire and more opportunity for cheatgrass to take hold, which leads to more fire and you get the picture. There's not going to be a simple solution to cheatgrass, and yet I think it's worth really trying to um, work with the native species and trying to give them a leg up as they adapt to a new world of cheatgrass. 
And then in other areas, we might need to accept that the change has happened and work with a new suite of species that are here to stay. Last summer, as the fire moved towards our house and I was rushing around frantically grabbing my things, I remember asking myself, what really matters? What is really worth saving? Restoring sage-grouse habitat, and really the iconic landscape of the West that so many other species rely on, is going to be a Herculean task. Fighting back the cheatgrass and planting native plants will require us to be gardeners and tenders, not just extractors and harvesters of the land. But the people I talked to in Nevada, Caleb McAdoo, the biologist, John Griggs, the rancher, the people who love this landscape far more than I could ever begin to, are committed to fighting for it. Wildfire is a story about loss for so many people who have experienced fire across the West. But it can also be a purifying, clarifying force that takes you down to brass tacks and shows you what really matters and what's worth fighting for. What do you take with you? But hopefully we won't wait until the house is literally burning to start asking these hard questions. Next episode, we're gonna ride into the sagebrush with a rancher and talk about values. If you value something, you're going to invest in it. Doesn't matter what it is. Do you value sagegrass? Yeah, I think I do. Do you value them as much as cows? Well, now you're talking to a rancher. (laughs) (laughs) Is what's good for the herd good for the bird? We'll find out. This podcast was edited by Whitney Henry Lester. Sound design by Liza Yeager. This show is brought to you by Boise State Public Radio and the Mountain West News Bureau, with support from Lori and Paul Ahern, who, I should note, are not related to me. Grouse was produced in partnership with Bird Note Presents and was made possible with support from Jim and Birta Faulkner. I'm Ashley Ahern. Thanks for listening.